what does it mean to regenerate? The reemergence of the concept of regeneration in our culture is a hot topic. From producers to products, legislation to certifications, celebrities to students, there's no shortage of passionate perspectives. Welcome to Regen Circle. I'm Paige Fay, and on this show, we're here to explore the reemergence of regenerative concepts and practices and their impact on ecosystems and culture. If you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Welcome to the circle. So today we are on the farm and I am with Aditi Sati and um, she is an end of life care doula guide musician an artist of maybe the end of life care and for context we are on the farm which is I believe the oldest one of the oldest conscious communities in the United States and Aditi just um, gave a beautiful panel on death the end of life care um, and what it looks like to begin to do that to community in community mm -hmm. and to change the way and alchemize the way that we think about the end of our life and integrate it into our lives and I'd love to start with the first question I always start with is what was your first memory or feeling felt sense of a regenerative system or thought or experience it could be in nature it could be in your own life and you might have not known the definition or the word for it at the time, but now when you think about it, what was your first experience of life giving back to life? I was always really drawn to leaves, like in the fall, mm. and fall, the leaves falling and dying, mm. and the beauty that came from that. And then I was curious, why do these leaves have to fall, and what is happening to the tree? Because the tree's not dying. Right. But then I realized it was an efficiency thing. It was for the leaf, to, the tree to survive the mm. winter and conserving energy. And, and then the rebirth that came in the spring, it was just exquisite to see these little leaf buds, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah. It was just magical that mm. nature is so wise. And within your work, the biggest thing that we've lost as communities right now that you're seeing within the context of your work as a, as a death doula? We've forgotten and lost this, the skills and the tools and the understanding that we have an innate wisdom and way we can be with death. We can be with our loved ones as they're dying. Mm. We can take care of ourselves and others in community and we can be vulnerable around each other. We become so individualized and so private so that when there's something such as a terminal condition or a knowing that you're going to be approaching your final season of life, there's this discomfort and sort of uncertainty of how to navigate that and how to suddenly become depend interdependent and vulnerable in front of those you love. It's so great that you bring up interdependence because mm -hmm. I think like in the context of my work and in the context of regenerative systems, we've done the same thing, right? To our food systems or to any systems. And so one of the big things within specifically regenerative agriculture is monocropping, right? And so the industrial revolution came along and we went from having these diverse gardens, right? Where the seedlings and the tomato plants were next to the corn that were next to the squash that were next to the chickens that were next to all of these different diverse 
elements of life and they all coexisted and there were difficult moments, right? Sometimes the harvest wouldn't be as good or there would be a few too many pests, but things existed next to each other. And there was, a, there was an intimacy with life and, and other elements. And I, I think when you're thinking about interdependence and elders, it is so unique, like in the context of this talk today, we had such a breadth of life, right? We had little children running around. We had mama's breastfeeding. We had elders and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And what, what can you go a little deeper on the role that that diversity of, of age of life plays in our, in our human experience? That's just so profound to know that that's, and I know very little about regenerative agriculture. So I'm learning a lot too, but I'm amazed at the parallels I see with the care of our most vulnerable in terms of elders, elderhood, and those who are facing death, because as we know, that can come at any age, sadly. Um, But it requires a multi-generational approach to care for our aging population. Mm. And with all over the world with children leaving the cities, I mean, leaving the villages to go to the cities to work and traveling across the globe for their work. Um, Our communities are lacking in that multi-generational sanctuary, as Biko says, or that intergenerational village-like or village life that would support those who are in need Mm. in their final stages, final season, as I say. So somehow recreating that in our modern way is probably the most creative thing we can do to support those who are needing that level of care Mm. Um, because our systems can't do it in a way that is nourishing and and inspiring and why why do you think that is like our healthcare systems and and whether it's a retirement home or a hospice or a nursing home whatever your language is for it why don't you think that those systems can provide care? What are the key issues you, you see? So right now, um, and my work is mainly as an end-of-life care physician, so dealing with those at the end of life. And I'll speak to that first, is that the reasons our systems haven't been able to really support individuals fully is that we're often crisis-driven. So we're waiting so long, actually, until there's a crisis before we even have a conversation about who's gonna take care of me when I'm dying or um, where will I be or do I have the finances to support you know, 24-7 care in my home. So we're not really engaging in this conversation upstream of a crisis or a, a, an event yeah. that leads us to think about it. So we're being very reactive. So we're still playing catch-up in a way. So in end-of-life care, that's what I've seen mainly. And then there's just really lack of education and conversations around death. So some people don't even know when they can bring in hospice. Some people have misconceptions of what hospice is. Mm. Oh, hospice will provide 24-7 care, which isn't true. Mm. They provide excellent care, but not the 24-7 care that's often needed Mm. in the dying experience. So that's specifically for end-of-life care. And for elder care, um, what we're seeing right now is that there's just a shortage of staffing to support people and there's a lot of burnout and elders in those communities often also don't feel as inspired because they're not in not with children they're isolated they're kept in their own communities away from this the rest of life exactly and 
It's so it's so interesting because there are so many parallels to natural systems, right? And regenerative agriculture is really just a natural system. You don't even have to be cultivating anything, mm -hmm. right? Natural systems do it on their own. And I think one of the things, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that the other piece that is is really interesting in what you were saying is that the symptoms of why we don't fix it are also the same. It's education. It's this delay to the last moment, right? We like it's like we can see it coming, right? We all see death coming. Like each day we're we're a step closer to it. And yet we we aren't proactive about it, right? There's this fear around it. We don't mm -hmm. we're not intimate with our own life or our own death in that way. And I'm curious, it really touched me when you were talking about the young man that mm -hmm. got sick. Um what, what was his name again? Ethan Sisser. Ethan Sisser. Um, who passed away, who has a film coming out, which mm -hmm. we'll, we'll link yeah. in the interview. Um, and he, he passed away from a form of cancer. And he called community in around him at the end of his life to be around him. And I'm curious in the case of Ethan and in other ways in which you've been intimate with death, what, what have you received? Like what have been the, the gifts that you've cultivated from the experience of being intimate with death? I get so much more than I give when I'm supporting someone who's dying. There's sort of this, it's such a gift to really be with someone who's facing this ultimate mystery and, and who's willing to have, be again, be vulnerable. There's something about vulnerability and being witnessed and being seen that not everyone is willing to do, but when you are, have the opportunity to be the witness and to hold space and to love and to be present, there's nothing that brings me more in the moment and connects me to my own inner wisdom and presence and kind of gets me out of my head, you know? All the, the worries and the fears and the insecurities just dissipate. All the isms, all the stuff, the crap, you know, just dissipates. And then just all you're left with is this, like, pristine, present moment. I got chills when, because in the same way that you don't know that much about regenerative agriculture <laughs> systems, I don't know mm. much about the experience of death. I'm not someone who has had very many people die in my life yet, and I haven't um, been intimate with it in that way. Um, and just you talking about how you receive so much more than you give and the mystery of it. Mm -hmm. And in my quest to define what does regenerative mean, what does it mean to live a regenerative life, be a regenerative human, be in a regenerative relationship or a part of a regenerative system? The element of mystery always comes into play. Wow. And um, it's that sense that it's greater than us and we could never fully comprehend or understand it. So in the same way that nature is bigger than us and we could study it our whole lives and we could be very knowledgeable about it. And there's this sense that we would still know just a teeny fraction of what actually exists. And I'm curious if you have any other reflections on the element of, of mystery and maybe mm -hmm. what our ability to be more intimate or lean into that mystery can give us in life. Uh, acknowledging the mystery and really when you witness somebody being born or taking their last breath, there's nothing that is more magical and mysterious. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of, brings this comfort it sort of it allows for a practice of being comfortable with the unknown and uncertainty and so the 
if you just sit in that space and honor that mystery directly, you know, have it like a, in relationship, intimacy with that mystery, it changes your whole life. And it, it, it allows for that comfort with the uncomfortable or the comfort with the unknown or comfort with the uncertainty that is present often in our lives. So it actually really grounds and centers and stills the mind when it gets chaotic. Mm. So it, it affects every interaction, it affects every moment with my child, it affects my relationships. And what advice do you have for parents that have children and maybe have elders that are their parents that are crossing and allowing your child to be intimate or understand death how do you how do you work through that within your own family well, i've one thing we know is that how we talk about death is more important than what we say so how we communicate to our children about what death is and how we are around death is more important than the right things to say or the right teachings to impart so I think with our children, you know, when my beloved mother-in-law, who was one of my best friends on the earth, when she was dying, she was in our home, and the children were invited. It's very much an invitation, not sheltered from it or not pushed to be around her, but invited into the space. And that was a real gift. Because sometimes they weren't ready. They weren't in the mood. They weren't resourced to mm. come in. And other times they were present and sang songs with her. And then they actually... When she did cross over, they tended to her body as they were comfortable. So they adorned her body with flowers, my seven-year-old then. Um, so sort of oftentimes I've had patients at the time um, when I was working more actively in the medical field say that I'm not going to bring my child in to see their loved one. It's not, it's, I don't feel comfortable with them seeing right. death. And that really can be a disservice. So asking the child, if they're age, age appropriately, right. um, and inviting them in, to me, is the, a great gift you can give them. You know, I've had experiences where I wish I could have been more intimate with death in childhood. Mm. And so I think it's really beautiful. And I also understand the side of the mother really wanting to protect your child from something so much bigger than them. That's um, And so I, I really appreciate your perspective as, as a mother on that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if there's anything else you'd like to share on this topic or offer up to people that are going through transitions in their own lives that, yeah, yeah. thoughts. I think that whole idea of fear being natural and discomfort with the unknown being natural, um, acknowledging that and honoring it, but moving towards, leaning into that fear. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you want to learn more about how to get involved with The Circle, visit us at our website or on social media. We're always looking for like-minded people to connect with.